This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. When we think about our saints and the blessings of the church, we're frequently reminded of special miracles connected with that particular person, and sometimes we forget that their place in history was achieved by the fabric of their lives, and how by the course of their dedication to God, they left giant footprints in the sands of time. And those footprints over the years have blossomed into giant oaks. And when one looks back on their lives and the obstacles that they were able to overcome, well, perhaps that's where the miracle happened. Today, I want to tell you the story of such a man. But in his case, his story actually has its beginnings way before he was even born. You see, we have to go back in our history to that period right before the Civil War, when not everyone was free, and certainly not one of our proudest moments. Our story actually has its roots in the state of Missouri. The daughter of a well-to-do plantation owner was to be married, and naturally the bride's father wanted to give the couple a special wedding gift. So he selected perhaps a half a dozen of his slaves to be used on the farm his son-in-law-to-be had purchased not far from Hannibal, Missouri. One of the slaves was a 16-year-old girl named Martha Jane Chisley, who was separated from her parents as part of the gift never to see them again. And so, after the wedding, the young couple, along with all the newly acquired possession and slaves, headed westward to the farm the newly married couple had just acquired. Now, I must mention that this young couple were Catholic, and their new farm's property border was right next to another Catholic farmer who also had slaves. And while the slaves were treated well, or at least as well as slaves could be treated, their owners were also concerned in providing for their religious training, and consequently they arranged for baptisms and other Catholic services by a traveling priest. Well, on the farm adjoining the couple's farm was a hard-working slave named Peter Paul Tolson, who incidentally was named after the priest who baptized him. Well, Peter Paul, while he was a hard worker, could neither read nor write, but he was intelligent and practiced his Catholic faith. Since the farms adjoined, he made the acquaintance of Martha Jane in an unusual way. A young black slave had collapsed, and she was trying to help. Seeing the difficulty, Peter also tried to be of service, but the young boy died anyway. Well, Peter and, and Martha Jane continued seeing each other, and as to be expected, they fell in love, and they wanted to be married. Now, this initially seemed to be a problem because they had different owners. However, the problem was solved when the two owners reached an agreement that they could be married and live together as husband and wife, with each continuing to work for their own what was then called their own master. So the arrangements were made for the two slaves to be married in the Catholic Church in Brush Creek, Missouri. Martha Jane was just 18 years old. In the years that followed, they would have three children. 
The first would be named Charlie, who would never be healthy, followed by another boy a year later in 1854, who would be named Augustine John Tolton. Augustine after his grandfather on his mother's side, and John after the patron saint of the priest who baptized him. Well, as you can imagine, these were dangerous times, and of course slavery was the big issue, and the battle lines had been drawn. The dreaded war between the states has, well, it was no longer a possibility, but a reality. There had been groups favoring freedom for all, and they were called the abolitionists, and they became the targets of the slave owners. Well, the Underground Railroad had started, and there had been the Dred Scott decision in 1857, in which the Supreme Court ruled that people of African descent imported into the United States and held as slaves, or their descendants, whether or not they were slaves, were not protected by the Constitution and could never be U.S. citizens. And that is, in essence... Well, they would, slaves were personal property and could not be taken away from their owners without due process. Well, maybe they couldn't be taken away, but they could escape by the Underground Railroad to freedom in states not recognizing slavery. And, and for slaves in Missouri, that could mean crossing the Mississippi into Illinois. And, of course, that route became both famous and dangerous. Even though they were treated well, the back-breaking work of the Toltons made them wonder if they could ever enjoy the benefits of freedom for themselves and particularly for their children who would be growing up to a future that was predetermined and not one of their own choosing. As we in our times enjoy the luxury of determining our career paths and how we want to spend our future, Take a moment and imagine what it was like for this family. There was no future, no summer vacation, no time off, but doing work that you really didn't want to do, and there was no escape. And for those who tried or those who tried to help them get away, more than likely they would pay for their efforts with their lives. They were caught in a world without hope. That is, if they elected to stay. The big question was, is their future worth the risk? But without it, there was no future. Well, more and more slaves were escaping and, and trading in their plowshares for a chance to win freedom by fighting for it in the Union Army. Tens of thousands of slaves would take that chance. And for those who helped slaves escape, well, many were killed or hung on the spot. Boycotts were encouraged for those towns across the river where slaves were free, like in Quincy, Illinois. Probably one of the most accessible towns was Quincy, and this wasn't that far from where the Toltons lived their lives in, in slavery. Can you imagine being a parent and, and looking at your children at night, knowing what their future would be like? That is, if you did not take some action? Well, that's probably the reason Peter Paul Tolton made a fateful decision. He wanted to help his family, and since St. Louis was a divided city, 
that is, some wanting to protect slavery and others wanting to abolish it, well, that made it a good destination to perhaps even join an army unit comprised of what we would call runaway slaves. That was Peter Paul Tolton's plan. He would try to do his part for his family by escaping to St. Louis and becoming a Union soldier. Well, it doesn't take much imagination to visualize seeing him bidding a tearful farewell to his family, hugging them, and then leaving. Perhaps a short distance away, he would pause and look back at them one last time. And what made matters worse was that when he left, there would be no way to communicate with Martha Jane and the children. He wasn't the only slave to escape. Many more from the area left with the result that the workload well, the workload became even greater on those who were left. And this work was practically from daybreak till sunset. Not a very pleasant prospect. And Martha Jane wanted more for her children. She wanted them to be free. But now they were alone, all alone. That was too much for her to consider. No, but to get everything, sometimes you have to risk everything. Yes, that was it. She couldn't stay where she was. She had to leave. She had to leave and take her children where they could be free. After all, her youngest was still unhealthy at eight years old. Augustine was only seven, but he was made to work in the fields, even at that young age. Well, it just so happens that at this very time, it was not uncommon for individuals from Quincy, Illinois, to make their way to various areas of Missouri and encourage people who were slaves to seek their freedom in Illinois, and often in particular to Quincy, where they generally found sympathetic people who would help them. I want to impress the utter frustration facing these children of God who have, well, have barely even scratched the surface of all the horrors in which they lived. And another factor was the rumor that there were slave traders in the area, and it was not unlikely that her children could be taken away from her and resold into a life of slavery. And her decision was made. She would escape. She didn't know exactly how far she would have to travel with her children. It would be about 20 miles to Hannibal, Missouri, where she would have to cross the mighty Mississippi and then travel perhaps 20 miles or so to Quincy, Illinois. It would be dangerous and take days, but her mind was made up. Somehow she made it as far as Hannibal, where she and her children were stopped by Confederate soldiers as runaway slaves. But through the grace of God, there were also Union soldiers present who rescued her and her children, and so she made it to Quincy and freedom. She was directed to an area where many black people lived, many of whom were also runaway slaves and who were now free. God was providing for her as she found a woman, a Mrs. Davis, who would take them in and provide shelter. Quincy had factories and businesses. The women would alternate taking care of the other's children while the mothers worked. Even the children had jobs where they were paid for their labors. 
there was a tobacco company where Martha Jane was hired, and even 10-year-old Charlie and 9-year-old Augustine were also given jobs. They worked 10 hours a day, 6 days a week, but they were free. Charlie, who had always been weak, died in 1863, and two years later the Civil War ended and Martha Jane learned that her husband had died and was buried in an unmarked grave. He had been a loving husband, but perhaps his greatest legacy was that he had taught his children how to pray, to sing hymns, and to love the faith. Well, time had passed, and Augustine was now 14 years old, and still he could not read nor write, and was placed in a primary school where the children were much younger. And in this all-Negro school, many looked down on him because he was so much older, taller, and, and still unschooled. It was a bitter experience, and he stayed in that school for only a couple of months. Martha Jane and her children had attended St. Lawrence School. The pastor was a real Irishman, Father Peter McGuire, who heard about the difficulties Augustine had experienced, and he insisted that Augustine be enrolled at St. Lawrence's Catholic School. Well, as you can imagine, it wasn't long before there were complaints about Augustine, since he was the only black student in an all-white school. But the good Father McGuire preached a fiery sermon at all the Masses on Sunday, quoting Christ's famous saying, What you did to the least of mine, you did to me. The school sisters of Notre Dame taught at the school, and Augustine was given special help by the sisters to bring him up to speed in all his subjects, for which he was always grateful. Augustine's faith became the cornerstone of his life. For the first time, he had something that he felt was all his own, and he wanted to share its glory. He worked hard and, and memorized all the prayers which were in Latin at the time, and he became an altar boy serving Mass. His schooling was interrupted because the tobacco company would shut down for several months and then reopen. And when it opened, he still had to work, and then when it would close down, he would return to his schooling. I must tell you, I've, I've often thought if I wanted to make a movie, it would be on the life of Augustine Tolton. Well, Augustine, as an altar boy, now served Mass every day before going to work, and and over time, Father McGuire talked to him about the possibility of his becoming a Catholic priest, quite unusual, from slavery to the priesthood. However, there were problems to be overcome. In the entire United States, there were no black Catholic priests. Plus, somewhat limited in his early education, well, this would also be a hindrance, but Augustine had faith in his goal to become a Catholic priest. Finding the right seminary would be the difficulty. It needed to be special because of his limited education. It would require more study, much more, and quite frankly, there were no black seminaries or black seminarians in the entire United States. Plus, his own particular needs were so great. 
Well, the priests at Quincy got together and started tutoring him themselves, not really as a seminary, but with the backgrounds that he would need, along with the subjects but that would have to be covered. Well, this worked well for a while. Father McGuire would be a big help finding work for both Augustine and his mother th- through a boyhood priest friend who had come from Ireland. They relocated back to Missouri for a time with the Irish priest, but he had developed an alcohol problem, and Father McGuire suggested that they move back to Quincy. They had been gone almost a year. Well, things were looking up. Martha Jane had a job, and Augustine not only had a decent paying job, but St. Francis College in Quincy had the name changed to Quincy College, and they accepted Augustine as a student. This young black former slave would now be a college student being taught by the Franciscans. Augustine was now affectionately called Gus and was being groomed in the hopes he would be able to attend a special seminary in Europe whose priests would go where they were most needed, usually to places like Borneo or perhaps Africa even. But at home in Quincy, alcohol abuse was widespread, and and Augustine worked hard to have more and more of the black population in Quincy join the Temperance Society in one of the Catholic parishes where Augustine and a priest friend started a Sunday school for black children and, and later a regular day school. Well, he was busily and successfully doing God's work but he wanted to do it as a Catholic priest. But in the entire United States, there was, as I said, not one black Catholic priest. Could he be the first, this former slave, now a free man? Well, Father McGeer and and another priest enlisted the aid of the local bishop, trying to get Augustine into a seminary in Rome that trained priests for the foreign missions. Augustine was now 24 years old, and there was correspondence back and forth, and then came the word. He would be accepted, and upon his ordination, he would be sent to a country where he could best serve God. But he would have no say to the country. Presumably, it would be in Africa, where priests were badly needed at the time. And so, on the 15th of February, Augustine left for the Eternal City. Six years of hard work lay ahead of him as he shared his studies with with men from, from around the world, including Africa. And for the next six years, Augustine would be referred to as Gus. In August of 1885, Augustine was ordained as a subdeacon and ordained as a deacon in November, and early the following year, Augustine Tolton was told he would be ordained a priest in the Catholic Church on Holy Saturday of that year in the Church of St. John Lateran on Holy Saturday at the age of 31. The day before the ceremony, Augustine received his assignment. He would not be going to Africa as he had thought. He was needed someplace else. He was needed to serve in the United States of America and would become the first ordained Catholic priest in America and was assigned to the Diocese of Alton, Illinois. 
Cardinal Simeone told him that he had been selected to be assigned to Africa, but that he, the Cardinal, personally had rejected the appointment for her. In his own words, America has been called the most enlightened nation in the world. We shall see if it deserves that honor. If the United States has never before seen a black priest, it must see one now. And so Augustine Tolton would now and forever be known as Father Augustine, or Father Gus, as he was often called. Father Augustine celebrated his first Mass on Easter Sunday in no less a church than St. Peter's Basilica. An interesting sidelight, the one-time slave now spoke Italian so fluently that someone attempted to recruit him for the Italian army. But now he was on his way home to the United States. His old friend Father McGeer arranged a hearty welcome and chartered a railroad car to meet Father Augustine in Springfield, Illinois, for his return to Quincy, where a huge crowd greeted the newly ordained priest. While hundreds of people were waiting to greet him on his return to Quincy, his first act was to embrace his mother, who had so carefully nurtured his faith. And so Father Augustine began his priestly service as a pastor of an all-black church, while a neighboring priest friend kept a record of the wonderful accomplishments of this holy and dedicated man who kept the church full on Sundays, complete with a choir consisting of both black and white parishioners. He was busy and, and a devoted pastor who attracted both whites and blacks to his confessional, which was quite a feat considering the slavery issue, and now whites were confessing their sins to a black priest. And he was attracting more and more people to his Sunday masses until it was so packed that the children were sitting on the church floor. This could not be viewed so favorably by a few other pastors who were losing parishioners to the new priest, whose sermons were inspiring. They were encouraging whites to stay away and go to their own parish. While this was hurtful to Father Gus, there were other events that helped compensate for the slights by those jealous of his service and his, particularly his success. His parish needed money, and God provided Father Gus with another opportunity. He spoke in Washington, D.C., and his preaching was so dynamic that Cardinal Gibbons arranged for other speaking engagements in New York, Boston, and even as far west as Texas. But the situation back in Quincy remained troublesome. The local bishop was not sympathetic to him and, in essence, suggested that Father Gus go somewhere else. Well, sometimes one has to swallow a bitter pill in order to do God's will, and when one door is closed, God can very easily open another. Archbishop Patrick Feehan of Chicago assured Father Gus that he would, in the archbishop's words, receive a warm welcome in Chicago, and so on the 19th of December in 1889, Father Gus left for Chicago, and unfortunately, his church in Quincy was later closed. One could only imagine his sorrow. While at first he had an altar in the basement of another congregation's church in Chicago and a, a one-room apartment, he was eventually able to bring his mother to live with him. Father Gus became 
friend with uh, a friend with Catherine Drexel, now St. Catherine Drexel, who would provide some of her funds to start constructions on a church of his own. An interesting insight into Father Tolton's life, an out-of-town priest stayed with Father Tolton and his mother for several months and would write of his, would write of his experience. They'd lived in a poorly furnished but clean house. A kerosene lamp stood in the middle of the table covered with an oil cloth, and on the wall hung a huge black rosary. As soon as the evening meal was over, Father Tolton would rise and take the rosary from the nail and kiss the crucifix reverently. We all knelt on the bare floor while the black priest, in a low voice, led the prayers with deliberate slowness and unmistakable fervor. It was obvious to all that Father Gus was beginning to suffer physically from all the activities he was trying to undertake. One had only to watch his zeal and dedication and hard work. Father Augustine expended every day, well, all of the energy, all of the efforts, and all of the breaths that were in him. And as the days blended into months, one had only to look at him and see how his hands shook as they held the sacred host for communion. He wasn't that old. He was only 43. But his dedication, his fervor to do God's will, and his untiring efforts to serve God made him appear much older than his years. One is only to remember that he started working at the age of seven. On a Friday in July of 1897, the weather in Chicago was blistering hot. He was returning from a retreat and had just left the train depot when he collapsed and was rushed to a hospital where he died a short time later. He was only 43 years old. More than 100 priests were in attendance at his funeral, and true to his wishes, he was buried in Quincy, Illinois. Though the years have passed, the holiness and life of Father Augustine Tolton lives on as a shining example of one man's love and service to God. We will not forget this heroic servant of God. At the beginning of March in the year 2010, Francis Cardinal George of Chicago announced that the Archdiocese of Chicago was introducing Father Augustine Tolton's cause for canonization as a saint. It is said that his work, spirit, and legacy resonates throughout the diocese, particularly among black Catholics. For those who have special needs, don't forget Father Gus. He surely stands close to the throne of God. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.